that God draws close to us. Now, he's always there, but there, there's times in your life where you'll experience God drawing near. And uh, unfortunately, we're not always aware of that. It's, it's, it's just part of the human predicament. And I want to look at a story today that speaks to this because these times of visitation can be moments or they can be hours or days or weeks, months, years where God is just real, he's near, and, and he's there for, for a purpose, for purposes. And there's a, there's a story, it's kind of a famous story. Most of the time when we hear this read, this story we're going to read is, is not uh, read during this time because it's, 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 the story we're going to read is about Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. And that's a, a pretty well-known story. And uh, if you have a Bible with you, you can open it to Luke chapter 19. We're going to start reading at verse 28. And what I want to do is just draw a couple of lessons from this story of how do we, what, what, what can we learn about these times of visitation? Uh, they, they, I think, you know, we're, if we're not in one, we're, we're rapidly approaching it. And there's things to learn about them. I'm going to read this story. It's pretty short, and, and in some sense, it's familiar because if you've been around church much, you've heard someone talk about this story. But I want to kind of give it a different spin today. So I'm going to start reading at verse 28. Here's what it says. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And as he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why, why are you untying it? Tell him the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, the, Lord's, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks, their cloaks like uh, like an outer garment, on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they'd seen. And then this is what they were singing. This is two passages from the Old Testament. During this time, the Jewish people had a tradition. When they would go up to Jerusalem for this week, it was a festival week, they would quote uh, Psalms one twelve to one eighteen. It was it was sort of just a tradition of what they did, and so Luke records two of the verses, the key verses that that they were quoting and that they were proclaiming uh, as Jesus came into town. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Now, things shift right here. And, and just note, it's celebration and joy. People are really excited, and things are going to shift. Now, as Jesus approached Jerusalem, and he saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from you. 
The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you didn't recognize the time of God's coming to you. So Jesus, in the, in the middle of this celebration, Jesus looks at the city. He looks at all these, all these people who are following him and they're celebrating who he is. And they say, this is the king. And they're, they're so excited. The king's coming. And then Jesus looks at the city. And the city of Jerusalem was, the, it was, you know, it was God's city. And in, the, and in the city of Jerusalem, the reason why it was so special was God's temple was in the city. And, and that was God's address, God's house. Now, all that was going to change and Jesus was, was making uh, all that, in, in some sense, obsolete. But as he's coming to town, he sees prophetically, because, you know, amongst all the titles that Jesus carried, he was a prophet, as well as a son of God. And he saw what was going to happen to this city, because God was, had come to them over and over and over, and they didn't recognize it. And not everybody, but largely the city was was not recognizing this this time of visitation. So this is a you know a, a serious example of it. But you have to understand something, which I think a lot of times we we don't understand is when God draws near, we tend to look at God as kind of like, isn't it cool that God is here for me? Isn't it just sweet? You know, like 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 God's like like he's like Uber. You know, when you need to ride somewhere, you just ring Uber up and they take you on. And uh, or those food services, you know, we, we're so, our country is so serving oriented. We get this picture wrong. It's like, you know, if, when I was a kid, my dad had a set of binoculars. And I, and I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. He could see so far away with binoculars. But every once in a while, I'd get them turned around and I'd look through them and everything looked so tiny. And that's what we do to God oftentimes, is we look through the wrong end of the binoculars and we forget who's God and, and who's the creature, the creature, the creation. Even though we're special and we're made in his image, he's still God. And Israel didn't realize who God was because he came in a package that they didn't expect. And that's the thing about this story. It just reinforces like the gospels reinforce over and over and over, when God draws near to you, he doesn't always come in the way you expected him to come. He doesn't always come in the package that most suits you. He comes the way he wants to come. He shows up, and it's our job to accommodate him and not the other way around. And so there's three things I want to show you in this story. We, we have to prepare for times of visitation, that's how we learn to recognize them. And so there's a, like, there, I want to show you three postures that are in this story. They're postures that we need to embrace in order to be prepared when times of visitation come. Whether they're just a moment or they're hours or days or weeks or months or they're seasons, years, where God just says, I'm just going to settle over your life and over your, your situations, and I'm going to be present, and I'm going to just blow your mind. That's what Jesus did for three and a half years. For three and a half years, God 
answered the prayers that their people had prayed for thousands of years, and most of them missed it. So this story, this little piece of scripture here, I think it it shows us something. So the first thing I want to encourage you to do is, the story opens with Jesus coming into town. He sends his disciples to get a, 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 a donkey. Well, Luke says a, a, a colt, but Matthew says it's the, the mother donkey and the colt. But Jesus rides on the colt. He, he's preparing to ride on the colt, and he's going to fulfill a, a messianic scripture from Zechariah 9 that promises when the king comes into town, he's going to wear, I mean, excuse me, he's going to ride on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so he's preparing to fulfill that. But to do that, Jesus doesn't have his own home. He's got the clothes on his back, and that's it. Like, the one who owns everything has nothing. And so he's, he says to the disciples, hey, I want you to go find the colt for me and bring it here. And he's, he didn't set anything up. This was a, just, a, if you, there's other passages you can read. I won't take the time to explain why this I don't believe that Jesus set this up for his disciples. This was just, just the people who owned the cult knew Jesus. And this shows you something about this posture that they had that, that we need to have. And this is this. If we're going to welcome a time of visitation, we've got to put all of our resources at his disposal. They treated Jesus like he was the one that owned the cult. Even though it says the owners lent the cult, they understood this because there's, from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, it, it's impossible to read it and not come away with the sense that God owns everything and that we're the managers of things and that he, he loves to give us things. But it's best if we handle the things he gives us with the attitude that this isn't mine. This is somebody else's, and I need to use it the way they want it to be used. And, you know, if you borrowed one of your friend's cars, right, you would drive it differently than you might drive your own car. You might take a little more liberty with your own car because it's yours. But if you borrowed your friend's car, you'd probably be a little more careful with it if you had any sense of responsibility. That's a good lesson for anybody here that might not know that, (laughs) who's driving a friend's car right now. (laughs) Take care of it, buddy. But... As we grow up, you know, don't our parents and other people that are around us say that to us? But we don't always have this posture that everything we have is His. And so I just encourage you, it is, if you don't prepare your heart this way, when the Lord shows up, you're not going to be involved in it. Because you're going to be of this mindset that this stuff is all mine. What, what's mine is mine. It's mine. And I think that you're, uh, just historically, people who have had that attitude have not experienced the kingdom in, in, a, in very full measure. So these, this, this story happened because, and Jesus was able to do what he did because these people said, take it, Lord, it's yours. The Lord needs it. That was the picture. The Lord needs it. So there's going to be a time where God taps you on the shoulder and says, I need something. And You have to to cultivate a posture in your heart of it's the Lord's. Or in that moment, you're going to go, well, who do you think you are? You need my time. You need my patience. You need my money. You need someone to stay in that spare bedroom over the weekend because they're going to be speaking at the vineyard. Oh, that was terrible, wasn't it? That was really manipulative. Shouldn't do that, John. Bad pastor. 
But that's the kind of thing. Because we think, oh, I don't want anybody to mess the bed. I just, I just clean the sheets, you know. Well, what are they for if it's an empty bed? So you can feel good that you have all these rooms and, you know, look at me? No. The Lord gives us things not just for ourselves, for other people. So that's one. Two, at the end, and this is out of order, but at the end of the story, it says everyone's excited. and They're all celebrating that Jesus, the miracle worker, is coming into town. Uh, and if you read in Matthew, it says that the children are praising God. They're just shouting, and it's just like crazy, wild celebration. And the Pharisees, they get uptight about this because they don't recognize Jesus as the king. It's not that the people are shouting, do you understand? It's the fact of who they're shouting about. That Jesus is not the king that David represented and the prophets spoke of. That they're still, they, they believed they were still waiting for that king to come, whoever he was. And they thought he was going to be a military ruler, a king who's going to lead Israel uh, into freedom from the Roman occupation. He was a political, military king, like David had been. But that's not what God had planned. And so they yelled and they said, you know, Jesus, tell these people to stop doing this. And Jesus said, you are so wrong, there's not even words to use to describe how wrong you are. And he said, in fact, you're so wrong, if, if we stop them, the stones would begin to cry out and celebrate my coming. And all of creation would recognize what you and your supposed wisdom can't see. And now this is the, the simple lesson of this is, if, if you're going to prepare your heart for a time of visitation, you better be prepared on a regular basis to be totally wrong. Meaning, we can walk around so sure that we're right that we can really miss it. I mean, we can miss it historically badly. That's what these leaders did. They were well-educated. In fact, in many respects, they were good people. Pharisees were not the bad people. Black hats, boo, hiss, you know, throw, throw tomatoes at them. They were historically people who were faithful to God. But they weren't perfect. And where they might have been right about certain things, they were wrong about some other things. And this is the thing about times of visitation is it turns things upside down. And, and when God shows up, it exposes stuff that needs to change. And if we don't start cultivating a posture that I'm not the boss, if we don't start looking through the right end of the binoculars as a way of life, we're going to miss it when the Lord comes because we're just going to think, you know, Jesus doesn't have anything for me. Jesus isn't here. I don't know what all these people are getting so worked up about. And it will be our own heart posture that will be the thing that, that hinders us from recognizing that the Lord's around. So first I said, cultivating a, uh, an attitude that everything I have is Jesus's. And second, cultivating the attitude that I could really be wrong. Now the way you, you cultivate that attitude is it's not listen to your spouse. They'll help you realize that. But it's by holding on to your convictions with humility. We're supposed to have convictions. We're not supposed to just be wishy-washy people, but we're supposed to hold every conviction we have with humility because we might not have it all right. And that's, it's tricky to do that. And 
you can see in the Old Testament, in the book of Psalms, there were prayers that the people of God prayed on a regular basis. Like, like David prayed, Lord, search me and try me and see if there's anything in me that's harmful or hurtful and lead me in the way everlasting. They were constantly praying that kind of prayer. And it's really easy for us to slip into because th- this posture where all around us, all the divisiveness that we see around us is based on the fact that people think they're so right and they're willing to fight for what's right. And there's, a, there's kind of an environment that that produces that starts to get in you and you start to, yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you open up your social media and you're kind of going, just let me, let me see one of those Twitter tweets that goes down that road that I don't like, man, I'm going to fire off a reply. Because it's like social media just breeds that, doesn't it? I mean, I don't want to, I, I won't. I won't say anything more about social media. A lot has been said that's wise and good about it. But that, that environment stirs in you this, this blinding pride that will make you miss God when he's drawing near to you. Because the, the last point in this I want you to see is, and it's in verse 35. Look at with me in verse 35. It says, they brought the colt to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt, and they put Jesus on it. And Jesus came in the city riding on a little tiny donkey, right? His, his legs were probably dragging on the ground. You ever seen that before? It, 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 in some sense, it was probably the silliest sight that anybody had seen that week. The king is riding in town on a little donkey, right? It would be like, you know, a couple of weeks ago, my heart was broken when the Astros lost the World Series, and the Washington Nationals won, and they they had all kinds of celebrations in Washington, D.C. And what what happens is the team will come into town for a parade, and they'll have these limousines and the nicest vehicles, uh, and, 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 you know, there's like a whole parade route, and, and it's just, uh, these people are, are treated like kings. But imagine if the Washington Nationals came to town, and they're riding those little tiny, you ever seen those little tiny motorcycles, and you're like, you could just barely put your butt on it, and they're riding there, it's like those little, and they're coming to town. That wouldn't set the mood of like championship glory, would it? Right? Or they came into town, you know, on skateboards, Right? Or just pick anything that made him look silly. Jesus looked silly. Because during this week, and it might not have been on the same day, but Pilate, who was the Roman governor over that part of the world, he would have come in town from where his residence was, which was along the sea. He would have come into Jerusalem on a stallion with Roman centurions with them. It would have been very dramatic. They would have their banners. All The soldiers would have their armor on. And Pilate would be coming in, you know, on this big horse. So he's the king, you know, representing the emperor. But Jesus is the king. And everyone's celebrating him because of all the miracles that he's done. But he's coming into town on a, on a donkey? What does that tell us? What does that have to say to us about how to recognize a visitation. What it says is, lead with your weakness. Lead with 
your weakness. Now, the first point might challenge you a little bit, because putting our possessions at God's disposal is always challenging. Second, be prepared to be totally wrong. That is, that's a tall order. But there isn't anybody here who hasn't faced a time many times in your life where you've really missed it. But this thing, lead with your weakness, is the tallest order of them all. And I think it's probably the reason why we miss God when he draws near to us the most. Because Jesus is making a statement about who God is and what he values and how we meet him and where we meet him. God is coming into town in weakness, in the person of Jesus, and it's being accentuated by coming into town on a little donkey. He's not coming into town the way conquering kings came into town, right? You all get that. So the, the principle, and it's, it's, it's repeated over and over and over in the Bible, and there's, if you go to 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says this. He says there was a time in his life where he, had, he experienced extreme difficulty. He said he, it was just so miserable, he cried out to God over and over and over, God, will you get me out of all this trouble? And he said God spoke to him. You know, he didn't say he came to him visually. He said God spoke to me and said, I'm not going to get you out of this. I'm going to meet you in the middle of it because my strength is perfected in your weakness. And so Paul said then, in fact, I should, I should probably read it here, what he said. So this is Paul's takeaway. He said, uh, I didn't underline it. I'm, I apologize. Okay. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. This is what Paul says. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. And you see, we're the donkey, and Christ's power comes into town on the donkey, on the weakness. And what we do is we boast in the wrong things. And because we boast in the wrong things, we miss the grace that's available for our weakness. Now, here's, here's the thing about our weakness. Our weakness, can, I think, can come in two different forms. It can come in where you really fail, or it can just come in where you're just being human, and, you're, and you don't measure up. So sometimes our weakness is embodied in the wrong things we do, and we just get in, in the thrall of doing wrong things over and over and over, and we can't break out of patterns. Other times, it's just because of our humanity, that we're weak because we're human. God's uncreated, limitless, we're limited. He has no beginning, we have a beginning. All of the reality of being human means to be weak. It means to be contingent. It means to be needy. And we live in a, in a culture, every culture in the world is like this. But our culture is particularly effective at marketing the idea that, that you're not enough. And sometimes that you're not enough that you hear subtly through message after message after message can leave you just full of shame. Like to be weak is to be full of shame. And our pride, the things that we boast in, they're mascara for our weakness. And this is not, I'm not saying anything about cosmetics. I'm saying our pride, when we start boasting in things that are really empty, that don't say anything good about who we really are, 
or bad about who we are. They're just things that we have learned to put on ourselves or to use to make a to try to get rid of the shame we feel because we don't feel like we're enough. We don't measure up. But Jesus comes on a donkey because he says, I like you just the way you are. And that's not just a cliche. It's the truth. And his whole story, the whole story of the gospel, he reinforces this over and over and over because where was he born? And how was he born? Who was he born to? Who were the people he was among? How did he grow up? I mean, it was like, he was like very ordinary, very nothing. Even the prophets said, who predicted who the Messiah was, they said, he's not going to be good looking. He's not going to have any form that we're going to be attracted to. We were going to be attracted to Jesus for something else than besides his good looks and his stature. A lot of people think Jesus is probably a little shorter than the average Jew male Hebrew at his day. He was probably very ordinary looking in terms of his appearance. Probably wasn't anything about him that if you saw him, you would go, hey, that dude should be in modeling, right? I mean, Eddie Bauer would hire him. No. People would just look at Jesus and they wouldn't see him. He was always picked towards the end at, in the school kickball games, right? And on and on and on. You couldn't, you couldn't put cool enough glasses on Jesus to make him attractive. It wasn't going to happen. But there was something else about him because of who he was that people were just drawn. They were amazed by. Because he owned his weakness. He was nothing more than who the Father made him to be. And so when he comes in, it's, I want you to leave it this picture. Every time you think of Jesus on a donkey, understand it's about leading with your weakness. And so it comes down to this. And Adam, once you guys, wherever Adam and the, the team are, come on up. There are parts, let's, let's not talk about the failure part. Let's just talk about who you are as a human being and, and your very real limitations. What limitation that you have, what weakness that you have that you're not really all that excited about, even thinking about, much less leading with, you know, like putting it out there as who you are, and letting people know what is yours. And I'm not asking anybody to stand up and say it, but we have, to, we have to go through a kind of repentance in our minds because when the kingdom of God comes, Jesus said, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom is at hand, and the first thing he said was, repent and believe the good news. So when the kingdom comes, we have to repent. We always have to repent of things. And a lot of us are, are finding the last month or two that repentance is, is hard, but it's really rewarding. When God speaks to you and you respond in a, in a healthy way, that it's just way better in your life than it is when you say no. What is it, what's a part of your life where you've struggled to own a weakness in your life? And it may be something that people from your past told you to hide. It may be something that your family said, we don't want this kind of quality around us. Friends, schoolmates, old partners could have reinforced to you that this thing is not good, but it's part of who you are. And you've lived with this dilemma. And the Lord is inviting you to, to experience something that when you 
lead with your weakness, you, and, you're, and you're vulnerable about it in appropriate ways, God's grace comes to you, and life comes into that, and His strength is revealed through that what you think is a weakness in your life, and it becomes a strength of your life. It becomes something that's life-giving to, to you and to other people. But it requires a willingness for you to recognize, God made me this way. This is who he made me to be. And I need to own this. Because you can't experience God's love in hiding. You can only experience it when you come out into the open and make yourself vulnerable. It's just scary to do that, isn't it? Isn't it? If you're thinking of some part of your life right now that's scary to let other people know, you know what I mean. It's scary to think about letting people know that. What will they think of me? Will they love me if they know I'm like this? And I remember one of my in-laws had a real bad learning disability and quit school. Well, was going through school, but essentially quit in middle school. But ended up getting into a trade and succeeding phenomenally. But their whole life, they hid the fact that they couldn't read. And it wasn't because they were dumb. They were really smart. But they had a learning disability, and no one had understood it because this was 30, 40 years ago. And this person is, is like, I would say, clo- you know, at the lower end of rich. And they can't read a lick. And they hid it. They became a supervisor in their trade. But they hid this learning disability because they were ashamed of it. And they spent all this energy trying to not let people know. Now, their spouse knew, and their spouse would help them, right? Because you can't make it through life in certain respects when you can't read. It's hard, you know, it's hard to play that game. But I've watched them over the years, just that, that, that's a, that's a life-defining kind of shame, because reading is really basic, right? And they've, they hear people make jokes about dumb people, and on and on and on, and they carry the weight of that shame. So I want to ask you today to, to do something. And I want to close with a song that we've, I don't think we've sung it in a little while, but I want to ask you just to pray with me for a second and ask God to, to bring to mind just one weakness in your life that he wants you to begin to own and lead with. And what he's going to ask you to do is first acknowledge it to him. It always starts acknowledging it to him. Because he's not going to go, he's not going to be shocked. He's not going to act in a way, you know, that, that makes you feel any worse than you feel now. He's going to love you and embrace you and accept you. And he's going to empower you to begin to figure out how you can lead with that in public. How you can begin to be who you are. Now, I think this is also something you need to dialogue with another, with more people that you consider to be safe in your life, people that, you know, will accept that part of you and help you learn to live from that real identity, who you really are. But you can't enter your destiny without doing what Jesus did. You've got to ride that donkey. You've got to get on that donkey, and you've got to ride it in town. And at some point in the ride, there's going to be glory that begins to be manifested. 
and that God's going to begin to be praised because of what starts getting revealed through your life. And you're going to, you're going to then, it's, it's going to leap, you're going to leapfrog into the next area of weakness in your life, and the next, and the next, and the next. And you're going to go from a person who struggles with shame to a person who lives in security and doesn't walk around with your head down all the time. Not that there aren't moments where we all feel like that, but as a way of life, like I'm not enough. And you're not going to spend all this energy putting on the cosmetics of things and careers and, you know, striving for all that and, and, and obscuring the beauty that God put in your life that's, that's who you are. So why don't you stand with me? We're going to take it, just, just pray, and then we're going to sing this song. And I want to ask you to do this. Again, this little altar area here, altars have all kinds of significance. But one of them is, it's where, it's a picture of saying, God, I need to meet you. But an altar is where something dies. And what I'm asking you to do today is you come up to the altar to take communion after you do this is to say, Lord, I'm acknowledging before you I have some shame about this weakness in my life. I never finished college. I got divorced. I'm too short. I'm whatever. Those labels that you've carried, that if, that where you feel the shame, because where your weakness is, you can always tell there's, there's shame attached to it. Almost always. And what I'm asking you to do is get on that donkey and ride it. Ride into the Lord's presence and say, Lord, here's this part of me. Come and meet me here. And tell them how afraid you are. Tell them whatever you're feeling, the, the conflict inside, it's, it's, it's struggling inside you. And as you do this, I just ask you to wait here. And before you go take the Lord's Supper, the bread and the wine, just wait here for a moment as, as we're singing and let the Spirit engage you. Because when you take that kind of a step of faith, the Spirit will engage you. And just soak in his presence. And he's drawing near to you. You're preparing your heart. He's drawing near to you. He's visiting you. And that work of his grace becoming sufficient for you is going to get launched this morning. And then after you take the Lord's Supper, I encourage you, you've got to find this week, the sooner the better, somebody safe that you can tell what you told Jesus today. Tell him this, about this weakness and ask him to pray with you for help to learn how to ride this in your life as a way of life, all right? So just give you, let me give you 30 seconds just to pause for a minute here. Lord Jesus, thank you that you rode that donkey into town. Just looked foolish to everybody, but we know you didn't look foolish to the Father, and we know that people with eyes to see saw who you were, and they, they, they celebrated who you were. They'd seen your power and your glory. We want to follow you, but we don't want to hide anymore. In fact, we want to come out of hiding. But we ask for your grace to meet us as we begin to own our weaknesses today.